Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 946, recorded live Monday, January 27th, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support, online at telerik.com, and by franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It's Carl and Richard geeking out again. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a geek out. Has been a while, my friend. I've been I've been saving this one up. This one's a lot of notes. I've uh, been doing a lot of reading about this myself, and very, I'm very excited. It's a timely show. Yeah, I think we're getting to a particular time, but let's not let's not give it away. I got to read a comment from a listener from a previous geek out show. Well, why don't you just go ahead and do that? As I don't have any intro music. <laughs> How about we roll the <laughs> the weird music and you read the comment? All right, roll it. Uh, and you know we get a lot of comments on Geek Out shows, which I'm I'm very happy about. It makes makes me happy that people like these shows. So this is a comment from the Whiskey Geek Out eight eight six. And admittedly, one of the most common comments in the Whiskey Geek Out, which I feel bad about, I should probably fix this with show notes, is what were all the whiskeys we mentioned? Oh, right. And I really should have provided the link to each whiskey. So yeah, because people don't know how they're spelled and all that. Yeah, and, and, and exactly. And especially when you're talking about Scottish names, like, are you going to guess at the spelling of Lafroy? No, I, I don't <laughs> think anybody can. <laughs> Not going to happen. Lefraug. So, yes. It's it's spelled exactly like it doesn't sound. Yeah, exactly. But this comment comes from Chris Coote, who says, Hey, Carl and Richard, I loved the whiskey show. I'm not sure what the book was that you were referring to, but I read one recently called Cooked by Michael Pollan, nice. which goes into everything from fire and fermentation's contributions to human evolution to the drawbacks of commercial yeast he talks about sauerkraut, barbecue, and the smoking of meat, and it's well worth the read. Oh, that was the one that he did on uh, uh, pickling and fermented foods. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard an interview with him about that, and actually, almost, he almost got me to try fermenting some cabbage, but uh, based on his, his experiences of his first fermentation experiments that didn't go well, No, I decided that rather than try to, you know, give myself botulism, I I would uh, just leave that to the professionals. 
And it all comes back to preserving food, right? I mean, that's yeah. what this whole thing's about. And, and of course, he's asking, is, is there hope for a pork shoulder show, which he now knows we did a barbecue show just a couple of months later. Right. Uh, regardless, you have hit me twice in a row with some geek out favorites. Not only did your whiskey show remind me of my school days playing with, I mean, studying three-story distillation columns and huge <laughs> batch reactors. <laughs> But the latest geek out on nanotechnology hit pretty close to home. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned the manufacture of nanomachines and bacteria that would generate small metal particles. My final undergrad project involved generating nanostructured metal catalysts on alumina silica using ultrasonic cavitation. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it's very Painful. cool, actually, because you create ultrasonic cavitation, you create these little Bubbles, essentially, pockets of actually really hot air that could uh, let you uh, pull off bits of metal and, and build structures from that. Okay. But as as Chris goes on to say, uh, a bit more sloppy and brute force, but it did do the trick. Mm-hmm. The catalysts were used in the processing of syngas. I don't mm. know if you've heard of syngas, but I syngas, yes, yeah, I mean, a way to make natural gas from other things and, and liquid gas if oh, you want. Oh, S-Y-N gas, like synthetic gas. That's right, syngas. Okay. all right. And that goes way back. Like they, they, um, the Nazis made syngas when they couldn't get in, when they couldn't get oil, they started turning coal into fuel. Okay. And, uh, during South Africa apartheid, they did that a fair bit of that as well. I think the South Africans lead the world in syngas production, hmm. uh, just because they need to do it. Uh, and it does make open up the door for an interesting energy show when you talk about the conversion of fuel sources from one thing to another. Yeah, so if you're an evil regime, you probably have something to do with sin gas. <laughs> <laughs> then it's SIN. No, it's more yeah. when you're isolated from other fuel yeah, sources. I, I get it, yeah. Use what you got. Right, right. But uh, yeah, great. I mean, there's a bunch of great ideas in here, just shows we could be doing. And I, I don't think we've done nanotechnology justice yet there's so many more things to talk about in that uh, by the way what happened to the graphene revolution uh, where's all the graphene stuff there's nothing there's a big difference between the science that you announce to get more funding and the engineering it takes to make the product yes we knew this so uh yeah we i i in fact i don't want to get ahead of myself but i went looking for all the graphene batteries and superconductors that we were going to have this year you know and and everybody's still in the we need more money stage. Yep. Or at least that's where they've left their website. Yeah. They haven't, you know, once you get the money, you stop worrying about your website. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Uh, So, Chris, I know you're an owner of a lonely tablet show mug, but now you're also an owner of a .NET Rocks mug. So, it's got a buddy. Mm. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows 8, and Windows Phone 7 and 8. Those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises who'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And by the way, we do read comments on Geek Out shows, but we only read them on Geek Out shows. So if you're really keen to get a mug, you need to comment on regular shows. There's a lot more of those. So the idea of the show, I think, started... I I read this article um, on Edison's Revenge, which was basically an article about A.J. Bott of Intel, who the guy who invented USB, you know, 20-some-odd years ago. And it was back in October I read this article. And I think we'll post a link to this article as well. And so what what is really interesting is that when Mr. Bot created USB, he didn't think about it as a power charging device, but uh you know, or or a system for charging. But it turns out that 
every small electronic gadget in their brother now powers their device with USB just because it's easy not to have to, you know, include a wall wart with your device. It's like USB powered. You just conform and there you go. There are some exceptions like, you know, the, the iPad requires a little bit more than the 10 volts or, the, you know, that's five, five volts. Yeah. It requires 10 or more. So, so there are special USB adapters that the Apple products need because they just need a little more. But what's interesting about this article is it says that this year, 2014, there's going to be a new standard uh, of USB called USB PD, USB power de uh, delivery. And this will start trickling out this year. By next year, by 2015, there should be uh, things on the market. This uh, standard will deliver up to 100 watts. And and it got me thinking. And then at the same time, Richard, you were outfitting your house with LED lights, which right. you've been talking about sort of in the, you know, in .NET Rocks, you know, in the intros of the show. And those are all DC lights, and, and you're just fascinated by this whole thing. And eventually, we got together at one of these events over breakfast and said, it's time we did something on the DC, coming DC revolution. Well, and, and there's a bunch of different pieces to that, too. I mean, certainly USB PD is a, is a big deal. Because it's finally admitting that here is sort of the universal plug that everybody's got. Yeah. Uh, 100 watts is not a lot of power. I mean, right. That's not enough to run a laptop. It's just enough to charge a, a full-size tablet. But they're trying to stay within the standard USB standard. The most interesting thing to me about USB power delivery, and as we get further into this show, it's going to come back to us, is it's a two – not only is it two-way street – so the same plug that you charge with could also be charging, mm. right? But also a negotiation protocol. Absolutely. So a device can add. This is how much power I need. Because USB is data, right? And right. so we can have this data stream that says, uh, and they even mentioned this in the article. Oh, by the way, I'm about to spin up the hard drive. So that phone that's charging, yeah, you're not going to charge for a few minutes. Well, like, yeah, I need a lot of power right now. Right. But just the basic negotiation of, hey, I only need this much power and I'm optional. I can suspend. Yeah. Or I, I need this much power and it must be completely reliable. Like those kinds of things. Mm. That's a whole other level of thinking, which I think is really, we're barely exploring this. The limitation, of course, is the 100 watts. The 100 watt, right. the, the upside to staying to 100 watts is the wires can stay really thin. Mm. You know, if you go back to our electricity show, which, dude, is two years ago yeah. now. Yeah. You know that. If we went up to a thousand watts, that little USB cable you got would melt. Yeah. So you know you you have to stick within the reasonable limitations. But I think even a hundred, how much is, is required for a battery for a uh, laptop charge? Well, it depends Maybe on the laptop. I mean, the little ultrabooks run around a hundred watts. Right. But you know that big beefy machine you like? Yeah. That's more like two fifty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a fair bit of power, and then the the other issue, and certainly we need to dig into this further, is how much volts do you need? Because USB is five volts, right? And and most laptops and other devices, you get twelve volts, eighteen volts, twenty four volts becomes a bigger issue. Right. You know what I really like? Uh, speaking of USB everywhere, is you can get wall jacks now that still have the wall jacks in them, and also a pair of a fairly good, powerful USB ports on it. Right, so at Home Depot or whatever, you can get the basic 110 uh, jack on on the top and USB on the bottom. Or even, I'll, I'll include a link to one of the Cooper wiring units for, on Amazon. 
that actually has two regular outlets on it and two USB ports all in the same space. Hmm. It's a bit deeper than a conventional plug, but yeah. it will fit in a normal box. But these are drop-in replacements, so you could just put USB ports around your house. I, you know, I'm really tempted. There's a few locations in my house where I'm like, you know what? If there was a couple of USB ports here, they would be in use all of the time. Now, I remember you, you were really um, excited about your wireless charger for a while. The, and- the key chargers, the, that seems to be the standard that's one, the mm-hmm. key chargers. So this, these are good for phones and things. And I don't know, I'm a little loopy about power waves going through the air and stuff like that. I mean, they're very close range and stuff, but... There's I, no more EMF coming off that than there is coming off your wall outlet. Your wall outlet, anyway. yeah. It's, it's all about the same. Uh, right. The reason I think nobody's got excited about wireless charging, slow. Really? Well, you think about you and I. We deal with this all the time with USB, right? You yeah. found those really fast USB chargers. Yep. And that matters. Like that charger, that little charger you found, dramatically faster than regular yes. chargers. Yes, and I think that's Im- important. And and key chargers just aren't that fast. I think it's because it's twelve volts, right? I mean, it's just pushing a lot of amps through that thing. Well, I think it's just the wireless effect, right? Is that they that wire you lose a certain amount of power and efficiency to work wirelessly. Right, right. It's only going to go so fast. I mean, the reason why that little guy was so fast, that little uh, charger that I got, because it's twelve volts. It's a twelve volt charger. It's pushing a lot of amps through through it, and that's why it goes so fast. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really a high amp charger, mm. and so it it does put you know take as much as your device will take on power. Most people build their USB chargers to make them cheap as possible, mm. and so if they charge it all, that's enough. But you know, I'm I've been playing with software on some of the phones that consumes so much power that even if you've got it plugged into a conventional charger, it's still a net loss in power. All right. So we're talking the DC revolution here, but we're really not talking about AC going away. You need AC in your house. Let's you two say, are always going to get along. Yeah, but let, you, let's, let's say you have LED lights, all DC, all your electronics are DC. You still have a refrigerator, can't run without AC. Sure. Right? Your uh, HVAC system can't run without AC, right? Well, you know, and I don't want to say can't, just because we have very high-powered DC systems out there. Okay. Virtually every subway system you've ever seen, in fact, almost every train you ever see, it actually runs on DC. Really? It, it turns out that DC motors have more torque. So when you talk about something like a train, like something really heavy that needs to start and stop smoothly, DC motors are better in that application. Hmm. When it comes to things that run all the time, that need to spin at very steady speeds... AC motors are a better application. Is that why a refrigerator needs to be AC? Well, it doesn't, end quote, need to be is the question. This is all about power conversion, Hmm. right? So it's more efficient if it's AC. Okay, and a toaster is more efficient at AC? So it turns out heating coils generally run better for their size if it's AC. AC is better at heating coils. Now, if it turns out that we have more devices that run better at DC in the home than at AC, could we flip it on its head? Could we distribute DC to the home and then convert it to AC without Quite possibly without be uh, less efficient? Well, when you get into the overall power distribution grid, and again, I'm going to call back to the original electricity show. Right. Distributing DC has its challenges, right? Because it needs to be amplified at, after right. a certain time. 
Well, and, and just the way that it's managed, you, you'd have to do a very, it would be a very expensive retrofit. But I do think having DC and AC living alongside in the house has some interesting possibilities. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you my story about LED lights. Yeah. I know you know a fair bit of this. I do. And I have more questions too. Sure. So, uh, not that my, my power bill is pretty substantial. Right. Uh, now, readily, I'm running a data center in my house, which I think is about 25 to 30% of my power consumption and has actually gotten me searched as a grow-up at least once. <laughs> and we've heard that story before. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in our conversations about, uh, and I've been experimenting with LED lighting forever, trying, I've got, I, you should see the stack of LED lights I have here. A lot of Edison bulb style, your screw-in bulb style, uh-huh. although most of my house is lit with MR16s. And those are the little plug-in two-prong LED, LED. Um, halogen light bulbs, right? Halogen those, light bulbs, yeah. Right, and you've got a few in the studio as well. And I have quite a few. Talked about this a few times. And, and MR16s are cool little bulbs. They're actually 12 volts AC. Right. They have a step-down transformer in them, mm-hmm. and they're very compact. You can get them anywhere between about down as low as 10 watts up to as high as 85 watts. Mm. And the bulbs are cheap. They're about a buck to two bucks a piece. Yep. At 85 watts, that thing runs so hot, it'll take your fingerprints off if it's you true. touch it. They're, 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 they're tough little bulbs. And they are AC bulbs, without, no two ways about it. The challenge with making LED, let's not even worry about L- MR16. Let's not worry about LED lighting. LEDs themselves are DC devices. In fact, when you talk about high-powered LEDs, the kinds you'd actually want to use for lights, they run between 24 and 36 volts. It's sort of their optimal voltage. Their watt, the amperage is really low. It doesn't take a lot of power to make an LED light up, but they're natively DC. Hmm. So when you are making something the size of a light bulb, you know that the light, the power coming from the light socket is 120 volts AC if you're living in North America. Right. You have to convert that into this 24 volts DC inside the bulb. And that's that turns out to be the hardest part of making LED lights. There's a few other problems with LED lights. Like, mm. they tend to be directional uh, as opposed to diffuse. Mm-hmm. They tend to uh, – they have challenges with spectrum. Yeah. People don't, you know, the natural color of an early LED was this 10,000 Kelvins, was this really bright blue-white light that is quite unpleasant. Right. So actually making lights that look like incandescent lights, more like 2,800 to 3,000 Kelvin, they made more expensive bulbs. And right. you're all, it's always about trying to get the price down on bulbs one way or the other. So it's only been in the past year or so that I started seeing really good MR16 LEDs. And what I was looking for in good is, Number one, absolutely, right spectrum. It has to be the right color. Can't live with blue-white light. Sure. It it needs to fit in regular fixtures. So it has to actually be the size of an MR16, which is really small. Uh, It has to have a wide enough cone. So the the amount of spread on the light, you don't want to spotlight everywhere. You actually want that fill effect. Yeah. And the advantage of LED lights is that they last a lot longer. Sure. 50,000 hours is normal for an LED light. And they don't get hot either. Well, they do get a little hot because they do have to do that power conversion stuff. Right. So they don't get as hot. They don't waste as much power. If they're pure DC, though, and the transformer is somewhere else, they're they're not as they hot. They wouldn't be hot. You're yeah. right. 
the LEDs naturally don't get hot. But it's right. just that they have to jump through these hoops to run off our existing power system. Right. And didn't so, you find a, a transformer system where it's at the power source and then the, the power is actually distributed DC through like cat five cable or something we will yeah then let's talk about that when we get there i just want right. to i want to focus on this particular light now include a link right. the, the best light i've found so far is a light made by sora s-o-r-a-a mm-hmm. and uh, uh, their vivid line and it's the right form factor it, it is it's a good looking light it creates the right cones diffuse enough it's the right spectrum plugs directly into the socket uh there are tons of of different lights this was the one that made me the happiest the downside to them 35 bucks a piece. Yeah. And I got a lot of lights. Now, I, I ended up going with this bulb wherever the fixture really, really mattered. And then I had another bulb that was a bit bigger and bulkier. Didn't quite fit in the socket same, but it was fine for pot lights. That was about half the price, about $15. So, now, you okay. So, obviously, just in the cost of bulbs alone, they're not going to pay for themselves. But in uh, electricity usage, they right. will. It took about 25% off our power bill. Yeah. Now, admittedly, my house is wired all with MR16s, which mm. are halogen bulbs, 35 to 50 watts each. They were actually heating the house. Isn't that funny? Yeah. They threw off more heat than we realized. When we changed them all to LEDs, the house was noticeably colder. So, what costs more in heat, the lights or your heat? I'm going to presume that my heating system is more energy efficient than hot light bulbs hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. I'm just a guess on my part. Okay. It is a valid question. It though. is absolutely a valid question. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you, you, so what's the heating system consuming? Natural gas, because I have mm-hmm. a gas fired furnace and electricity for that big fan. Right. But I, it's built to do that. So I think it's better at it. Yeah. But we became more sensitive to it. We also realized here's an interesting effect for you. You'll love this. In my great room, the big space, and, and it, you have most people have not see my house. Although if you go and watch my drunk kitchen, Vancouver, you'll see a part of my kitchen. Yeah. Um, where the thermostat was for that part of the house mm-hmm. was right below a halogen bulb. Oh. If that light was on, the room got colder. Interesting. Because it threw off enough heat that it made the sensor think it was warmer than it actually was. Change that light to an LED, and it actually knew the room was colder and would run the heat more often. That's really interesting, Richard. Yeah, a funny little problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, switching to switching over to LED... We went from 35-watt bulbs to 3-watt bulbs. So, the power consumption was literally a tenth. And and we ran into one other interesting issue, which is that dimming LEDs is really hard, especially when you're doing multiple voltage conversions. Like, when you're thinking about an MR16, so I got a 120-volt supply into the house. Goes to a – these are cable lights, these MR16s. So, that goes to a transformer, steps it down to 12 volts. Mm -hmm. Then it goes out to the LED bulb, which converts it back up to 24 volts – and switches it to DC. Yeah. Okay? So, there's all this wasted power along the way. But it also really messes with the signal. You can dim an LED with DC very easily. It's not hard to do. But it's very hard to use an AC dimmer to dim a DC bulb. Now, let's go back to the electricity show. Right. This is where you blew my mind with the idea of what a dimmer actually does. Well, it depends on the kind of dimmer. So, so yes. Th- there's a half dozen kinds of dimmer. Right. So, the dimmer that I thought I had in my house was the kind where when you turn it down, it calls on less power. Right. And therefore, saves electricity. Right. And what it was actually doing was resisting. Right. And 
consuming the same amount of power, but converting that power into heat. Right. So you go back to the old style rheostat dimmers that we all had. Those ones, ones are that actually buzz yeah, when you turn them down, generating heat. And yeah. there are, you know, the when you talk about the touch dimming systems and so forth, they're electronic. They use triacs, and they're much more power efficient. But the way that they alter the sine wave to make the light brighter or dimmer affects transformers. So in regular MR16s, don't even worry about LEDs. When you talk about halogen bulbs, that transformer is going to get some of its voltage cut off. And some. And if you don't have the right kind of transformer, if you don't have a magnetic ballast transformer, it will actually damage the transformer to dim it. So now are you saying the the kind of dimmer you have is not a rheostat? No, I have a triac, what they call forward wave dimmer. So it actually does call for less power. It does call for less power. It actually notches the power out on the front side of the sine wave. Mm -hmm. And the magnetic ballast transformer that drops the power down for those MR16 bulbs can handle that kind of notching. I got it. Okay. But then the LED bulb has to convert that into DC properly and dim properly. And so there's a whole chunk of circuitry inside of dimming LEDs that step down the DC power based on the variations from the AC power. So don't, isn't what you really want to do is convert all that AC to DC first, then go through the dimmers and then to the lights? What if we were all DC through the whole chain? That's I mean, what just, I'm thinking. Now that I've listed the convolutions right. that are going on just inside of my house. convert to DC first, and then do all your dimming and switching and right. all that. So let me point you at a company called LumenCash. L-U-M-E-N, cash with the E. Dot com? A dot com. So LumenCash builds and they're not the only ones but they're they're one of the interesting ones because they really aim these guys had an indiegogo project to do dc lighting throughout the house and their pitch is really interesting for guys like us because what they said is as soon as you as soon as you're distributing power on low voltage you don't have to be an electrician anymore right you distributed power you can use cat five everywhere so you can use Cat5 for the cabling, so it doesn't have to be in Romex tubes, and it doesn't have to be in J-boxes and all of the rules that f- involve high-voltage electricity. Right. You can just throw these cables anywhere. Huh. They're all changeable. They've, they've got a patch panel system that cascades between different connectors. I see. So that you can have a Cat5 cable that goes to the lights and a Cat5 cable that goes to switches. You can use their lights or anybody else's lights and their switches or anybody else's switches. In the end, you can go just down to a pair of wires to a mechanical switch that connects or disconnects them. And the configurations are all programmable. And I see something else here in these diagrams that was mentioned in that uh, article that I mentioned at the beginning about Edison's Revenge. And that is this: all this DC stuff lends itself really well to battery storage and solar panels. Yes. The biggest problem you have, we talked about this on the solar power show, converting solar power, which is DC, to AC is inefficient. Is inefficient and a problem. And and expensive. And AC, and, and, you know, solar varies. Right. Right? As soon as we're running on a DC throughout lighting system, then... A, our power consumption is way lower, so mm. batteries get m- way more simple, right? right? When you start looking at battery systems that will actually run AC power, they're huge and right. they're expensive. Right. 
when it's all DC all the time, you don't have to do all those conversions. So they can be much more compact. A pair of good size marine batteries could power an awful lot of lights in your house. And one decent sized solar panel can keep those batteries charged. Wow. And now you get into an interesting combination of things because I can use solar power when it's available to run the lights. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't, not available, it runs the batteries. When the power goes out, lights keep working because the batteries are there. Right. But now think smart grid. Hey, we're at peak power right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch over to the batteries, not use the mains at all. Right. Whether I have solar power, because the solar power is not available and the mains, and and the mains are expensive. So I'm just going to run on the batteries now because I know in an hour or so the rates will drop back down. I can charge the batteries back up and the lights stay on. You wouldn't even need to know. It would just happen. Hmm. I'm also including a link here to a dealer kit demo video from Lumen Cash from literally about a week ago, from late January of 2014. These guys are going concern, and you actually see them do different experiments and setups with a Lumen Cash panel. One of my favorite demos in here is the guy takes a set of lights that are wired in, has a different controller for a light switch. So he's, and he shows both one of their switches, which is a nice dimming switch, which dims it very smoothly, mm-hmm. and a plain old-fashioned mechanical switch. Flick it on, flick it off. Both lights work. He then says, what if we wanted to use a sensor instead of a light switch? So here's a magnetic sensor, the kind of sensor that would tell if a door is open or not. Right. So when the door is closed, the magnetic sensor is on. So we reconfigure this thing to go switch from on to off, and now whenever the door is open, the light turns on automatically. Right. So talk about flexibility. Right. If you can complete a circuit and just connect two wires together, you could configure any set of lights and any uh, uh, options in those lights with this. And I love it. I love it that it's all low voltage. You don't have to have permits and all that stuff. The only... The only problem is going to be undoing all that AC in your house. I mean, you don't even have to undo your AC, right? This goes right along side your AC system. Yes. You just will end up using the AC a heck of a lot less. Well, and you, 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 and you, you talked about this right at the beginning there, the, this whole idea of AC comes into the house, gets converted to DC. So we have somewhere in our house this patch panel, essentially, mm-hmm. that brings in the solar power and the wind power to charge a battery pack system that we also charge from our AC system that then goes to the lighting panel. Right. You leave your lighting wiring, existing wiring in place. Too expensive to remove, too costly. Very easy to throw Cat 5 all through the house. Anywhere that you've run an electrical cable, you could probably sneak a Cat 5 past it, right? There are pull systems for all of this. It's going to cost you some money to pull it, Mm. but once it's pulled, now you can start hooking up lights anywhere you want. It's easy to daisy chain more lights in. Yeah, you know, and many of our listeners probably already have Cat 5 in their house. More than likely. I know I do. Yeah. Probably more than most people would think. But, (sighs) you know, the big thing here is when you think about a traditional pot light, you've done this retrofit in your house. Sure. A traditional pot light that runs on AC has the light fixture itself and a ballast attached to the back of it. Mm -hmm. And you pay extra for for what they call a retrofit kit, Mm -hmm. small enough that the whole assembly will fit through the hole that the light goes into. Right. Right? So then you cut the hole out in the ceiling. You uh, fish your wire through to it. And then this whole assembly slides in, locks in place. How big do you think an LED light is when it runs on straight AC? It's minuscule. Yeah, an LED light is tiny. A tiny, when you get rid of all of that power conversion yeah. and dimming uh, controller. Right. There's nothing in the, the light is a quarter inch thick. You could surface mount them if you want. Right. They're s- incredibly small. And Lumen Cash makes a set of lights. 
So you can use theirs, but you can also take existing LED lights where you can strip off the conversion hardware and, and run with that. Huh. So they've gone, and admittedly, LumenCache has gone through some convulsions here. They did an Indiegogo, raised some money, mm. and they've been experimenting with different configurations. But their latest version now is so flexible, it's very easy for you to switch over to to LED lighting. Now, I, I know you, you have a light fetish, and you are, you know, this is, these are your words, not mine, my friend. Yep. Um, one of the things that you talked about as the holy grail of LED lighting and where it comes to spectrum is somebody that makes a light that as you dim it, the spectrum changes like um, the brighter LED uh, LED diodes uh turn off and the different colored more warmer uh, colored LEDs turn on. Well, and it speaks to an interesting problem about when you dim LEDs, which I noticed these? once I'd done it. They don't change what incandescent bulbs, halogens and the like, as you dim them, they get more orange. Right. They shift down as the same just like a fire burning down. Yeah. Right. When the fire is really high, it's quite a bit more yellow and white. Right. And as it burns down, it gets more red. And your lights do that too. Sure. LEDs don't. So do does Lumen Cash make a product that does that? No. And 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 there's an argument to be said, well, we just get used to this, that we don't change spectrum. Yeah. Uh it's possible it's more likely that we would make a product like that if we didn't have to do all the other conversions as well. Yeah, yeah. But speaking to the bigger picture on this, let me point you to one more company. This is a company called Moxia Technology. Okay. And these guys are actually out of the UK. And Moxia Technology have focused less, you know, the, where Lumen Cash really seems to focus on a almost stick it to the man attitude of you can do your own lighting. <laughs> yeah. it does, you don't have to have licenses for all this stuff. It's easy to do for yourself and so on. Moxia is focused more on sort of professional level home use, uh, taking advantage of having your own local power, of having solar and wind and being able to do smart switching there because they're out of the UK and the UK is doing a lot more with uh, peak tariffing, mm. right? I think the UK is pushing the market uh, because they do change their rates far more often than we do in, in North America. Uh, people are, are much more interested in this idea that, hey, I want to consume less mains power during peak times, right? You know, around dinner time, I want us to be able to use our own power. So they actually offer complete systems that do that, that integrate solar, battery storage, uh, as well as lighting and the power DC system for powering electronics. Wow! So the ability to retrofit, get your lighting on board, and that's where I think the combination of these things—no one of these things. Yes, we all want to get rid of wall warts. Right. Totally get that. We all want to consume less electricity. We'd like to take advantage of uh, the solar power potential and, and so on. But it's the synthesis of these things together that actually makes sense. Mm. The, if you take a look at Moxia Technologies battery systems, they're actually good looking. They're not big industrial battery setups. They're, they're panels that fit on the wall. They're one kilowatt battery systems and they're, and you can get extensions for them. They're reasonably priced and they, uh, and they really offer a great way to get there. Well, let's talk about batteries for a minute because, you know, and I, as I mentioned before, I went looking for my graphene batteries that we yep. were talking about last year. And yeah, there's nothing out there yet, but you know, there have been some advances in battery technology. Um, in April of last year, there was an article in, uh, in the BBC 
if you go to tinyurl.com slash battery10x. It seems there's been a lot of these type of stories. A uh, super-powered battery breakthrough claimed by U.S. team, and, the, and it says, A new type of battery has been developed that, its creators say, could revolutionize the way we power consumer electronics and vehicles. The University of Illinois team says its use of 3D electrodes allows it to build micro-batteries that are either 10 times smaller than commercially available options or the same size and 10 times more powerful. It adds that they can be recharged a 1,000 times faster than competing technologies, but oh yeah, some safety issues still remain. So, you know, amazing sounding possibilities, but oh, sorry, there's there's a gotcha. But it's still a research project, right? I know, you, and there's lots of these things out there. Yeah. It seems like they're everywhere. Like, everybody's figured out the 10 times battery, you know, in, in one way or another. Um, and, I don't know, do you have a favorite battery technology that looks promising for the future? Um, you know, I mean, this, the researchers are researchers. You know who I trust right now more than anybody with battery technology? Elon Musk. Yeah, I was just going to say, the Tesla guys have, have, they have to have their batteries working. And they keep improving them. Right. Right. And, and they're good enough that everybody else is starting to come to Tesla for batteries. So what does Tesla do for batteries? Well, they, they've got a lithium ion derivative batteries. Right. So they're still using tried and true technology. What they've gotten better and better at is managing temperatures because lithium ion batteries care about temperatures, figuring out rapid charge solutions. And there was a big announcement today that there are now Tesla supercharge stations all the way across the U.S. You could drive across the U.S. and charge at their supercharge station each step of the way. Wow. I have tiny URL this. If you go to tinyurl.com slash Tesla battery. You can read about their uh, their battery technology to date. But yeah, I really appreciate that these guys are continuing to push and folks and, and other companies are just going back to them. Like they, they're trusting that Tesla is on the leading edge of where battery technology is really is from an engineering perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and they certainly have to get it right. I mean, I, I do trust Elon Musk to have the best battery in his car because – He's he's got to have it, right? Well, now he's getting the range, right? He's he's getting to the 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 Model S with the eighty five kilowatt battery has a three hundred mile range. It's mm. a real range. Mm. That that's the same as a regular car. So you know, these days you're talking the, in the, in that S battery is some of the highest density energy we have available. So it, that's exciting to me that that they're they're that's how far they've come. And, uh, you know, jumping back to, to, uh, Moxia, uh, those guys use lithium ion technology in their battery packs as well. Hmm. So, uh, typically when you talk about power systems associated with solar that use batteries, they, they use lead acid batteries. Right. And there's a reason for that. Don't make fun of lead acid batteries. Le lead acid batteries are inexpensive, reliable. They have very known behavior. They have decent lifespan and they have lots of power. But if you're going to use them, you put them in a shed outside of your house because when they, they can catch will, fire and they leak hydrogen gas, they can be dangerous. And this is, I think, the infrastructure that the average mortal doesn't want to deal with in their house. So switching to lithium ion, uh, uh, Moxia has, has been able to uh, make it a little more household friendly. 
And they're starting to list, if you dig through their site, they're starting to list actual appliances like LCD screens and radios and things that run directly on DC. So that you could start doing DC distribution in your house and have products you can buy today that work with that. And they have a sort of universal DC socket, which I think is where you get into the really interesting challenge around this. You know, an AC outlet, mm. you know what to you expect, mm-hmm. right? They, there's the 120-volt one. In Europe, you see the two-pin 220-volt one. But everybody knows what that plug is. Mm. But when you start talking about DC, because there's so many different voltages and amperages that DC power can run on, actually having a standard plug is really challenging. And so these guys have tried to take that on with this thing they call the variable DC socket. So that you can uh, get a cable made for your particular device that will ask for the right power from them. And I think this is a competing standard to what USB has been doing. Uh, USB is aiming lower with a smaller amount of power and just really for charging things, not necessarily for running things. To solve not having a wall wart for your laptop, we're going to have to go a little bit further. So somebody told me that you can now recharge regular non-rechargeable alkaline batteries. There's a way to do that. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you've seen any of this, but... Uh, well, I've blown up plenty of batteries over the years. Yeah. You're non-rechargeable batteries because, you know, the reality is the chemistry of a, of a typical uh, alkaline battery is a one-way chemistry. Yeah. Reversing the charge is not that simple. Right. Now, it depends on the battery and how the chemistry actually works in that particular battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the basic state idea of can I take single-use alkaline batteries, plug them into regular battery chargers, and recharge them safely? I think the answer has to be no. Is it possible that we could make rechargeable, that, that we could find ways to recharge standard alkaline batteries? Possibly. But realize when, you, when you're wrong... Batteries explode, and right. they spray toxic chemicals when they do that. Yeah. So, okay. You know. Well, anyway, uh, there it looks like there are videos all over YouTube as to how to do that um, with the right stuff. So, yeah, don't don't just do it. Yeah. Just be uh, careful. Be very careful. The consequences of failure are substantial. Yeah. So, uh, you ready for this one? All right, hit me. All right. Um, this would be uh, my really fun link for the day okay tinyurl.com slash really big battery a large capacity dc battery system for a nuclear power plant yeah that's a big battery. is that big enough for you <laughs> that's a big <laughs> battery <laughs> by toshiba right <laughs> yeah this is uh, a big battery so but you know um and I should have, I should, we should have talked about some of those other companies that have these battery backup solutions for homes and offices for when the power goes out that are, you know, just battery backups, but they last a long, long time. Sure. Um, now let's say you have an AC to DC converter in the home and you've got solar panels and you've got one of these switches and, uh, you are, you know, charging your batteries and you have a smart grid going on the batteries obviously have to make sense you have to have some fairly big batteries and that's why i threw this out there just because nobody's nobody in the right mind is going to have these high density batteries but what where should we go to find 
you know, batteries substantial enough to, uh, to store an evening or a daytime's worth of LED lighting power or enough to charge my laptop or, or all of that stuff. Where do I go to find that kind of DC battery? Well, that's where I point you at, at Moxia because those are the guys who are actually selling a complete system with a one kilo, uh, kilowatt hour battery with a couple of add-ons. You can go as far as you want with that. This is not, this is really on the edge of what do-it-yourself is about. You are integrating between AC and DC and that yeah. takes qualified people. Right. And, and again, when you can make a lead acid battery explode too, when you get this wrong, there are significant consequences. Yeah. So it's worth having professionals when you're going to start playing with enough battery power to keep your lights running for an extended period of time. Uh, it's, it's not a trivial thing to get. So right. we're really not there yet. We're just talking about ideas that, that are probably going to happen in the next couple of years. But uh, well, we have products off the shelf today. You could be retrofitting your house today with Moxia systems, right? But you are going to have to involve electrician when you do that. Yeah. And you are going to spend more money initially, right? This is still a hybrid technology and retrofitting houses is always a challenge fishing those wires and so forth. I think Lumen Cash now has real dealers, you people you can call who are willing to install the system into your house. Uh-huh. Moxia clearly is there over in the UK. So there are product lines available. It's it's a dis- conversation you can have if you want to add these things to your house. All right, getting back to the dimmers cuz uh we we talked a little bit about your dimmers. Somebody told me that uh, you have to have special dimmers for LED bulbs that are different from, say, you know, um, compact CF bulbs that are different from your standard bulbs. Well, most compact CFs are not dimmable at all. But, I mean, Some the reality are. is AC light fixtures are tolerant to a lot of different ways of dimming. And LEDs are not. So what if I have... What if I have just a standard AC, you know, sockets, not DC like you have, and I want to put in a, a dimmer? I was told that I have to have a special dimmer that can that can dim uh, LEDs in a better way. It depends on the lighting source. What kind? There are LED bulbs like that one I mentioned from uh, from Sora tolerates lots of different dimmers Mm -hmm. it's a more expensive bulb as a consequence Mm -hmm. but it is tolerant of that the ones that just drop into a 60 watt replacement you know standard socket depends on the bulb it really does yeah yeah different so you've got a lots of bulbs say they're dimming but you can go read the fine print to figure Mm -hmm. out what dimmer they like right mr16s that dim because they also already have uh, a transformer ballast that's changing the voltage, that just makes it even more complicated. Well, those are different completely from what I'm talking about. Well, Yeah, I'm talking about in an AC socket today that you would just go to Home Depot and buy a, an AC replacement bulb that happens to be LED, so the transformer is built into it. Says it's dimmable. I guess what you're saying is you have to, to just take your chances i suppose with well and the the evil thing here is if you're wrong it's not like a little flag is going to pop out and say you were wrong yeah it's going to just shorten the life of the bulb instead of getting fifty thousand hours of the bulb you might get five thousand hours out of the bulb Hmm. right that's the tricky part when it comes to led lights so how do you know how do you know which uh, dimmer to get they it's it depends yeah you've got to talk to an electrician like i said there's a half a dozen different kinds of 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 dimmers so it depends on which ones you've got or what you're willing to buy and it depends on the fixture you're using and the kinds of lights you're using huh 
Wow. It's just not simple. Okay. And it's one of the reasons to, you know, this all DC system would then lend this fact to there's only one kind of dimmer now. It's a DC dimmer. Yeah. You know, the upside, and I've seen this a lot as I'm doing the research around where DC is actually at, the upside to the DC revolution in the house is we get to leave behind all of the cruft of many generations of AC lighting. Sure. And get away from all of that stuff. Yeah, and, and all the, a much tran- system. the transformers at the wall and in the bulb and all of that stuff. Yep. We just get used to that. So, at the end of this article that I started the show with, Mr. Bot, who invented USB 20 years ago, has a plan to make the next USB cable flippable. So, the plug fits the socket whichever way it is inserted. Round of applause for Mr. Bot. If he can and at the same that. time, boo, because it means all our old plugs aren't going to work. Well, of course they're not going to work. It's going to be a different system. But, yeah. you know, in the next... I'm Personally, I, I think they're... They're evil because it it always takes three flips, doesn't it? Or two yeah, flips. At least. You, you 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 try it once, it doesn't work. You flip it over, it really doesn't work. You flip it over again, and you realize you actually did have it the right way. You just weren't patient enough to put it in. Exactly. No. <laughs> Dude, I think that's a show. I think you're right. <laughs> Another great geek out. All right, and folks, by all means, I can't imagine we've covered everything. If we've missed anything or you want clarification on stuff, write a comment on the website. Let us know what you want. Maybe we'll do another. Yes, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.